2: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Grace Wan in Fermina Kim. Coming up on Forum, they listen to our problems, they cuddle with us on the couch or join us for a walk. They are often here when no one else is. They're our pet friends, and the devotion we have for them often knows no bounds. So when a pet dies, the loss can feel immeasurable. Yet society often places less value on that grief. Why don't you get another one? But that void is not easily filled, and the sorrow can be hard to shake. We'll talk about grieving our pets and how to help them across the Rainbow Bridge. Join us next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Grace Wan, in Fermina Kim. Mourning her absence was breathtaking in a literal sense. It took the wind out of me, writes Sarah Bader, about the grief she felt upon the death of her best friend. She wasn't talking about a person. She was writing about her cat, Snowflake, a constant and faithful companion. Pets are like our family, so when one dies, the loss can feel devastating in a way that's often hard to describe. This hour, we'll talk about what it's like to lose a pet friend and hear how you've coped. Joining me first is Sarah Bader, whose new book is The Book of Pet Love and Loss Words of Comfort and Wisdom from Remarkable People. Sarah Bader, welcome to Forum. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're delighted to have you here. Sarah, you begin the book by talking about your cat, Snowflake, and I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about her.
3: Sure. Um, So Snowflake and I sort of inherited each other after the end of a long relationship. And, um, And it wasn't until we were living together, just the two of us, that we forged a very intense friendship And um, I guess the best way I could describe her is she was very dignified, very polite. She was like (laughs) the most polite cat um, and very uh, just sensitive. I just remember um, when I was sleeping and I'd wake up in the morning, she would just be on the bed sort of watching, waiting for me to wake up, which I don't know if you've had a cat but that's often not the way it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So she was just a very intuitive, tuned in, sensitive, very sweet cat. Um, A little shy at first with newcomers, but uh, quickly warmed up. And yeah, a very, very special soul.
2: Well, I can imagine that her death was just wrenching for you. How did
3: that affect you? Um, I... I had some time to prepare because she was ill for a while and um, this was very tragic, but I just kept feeling her get a little bit lighter month after month because she was ill and we couldn't quite figure out what was going on. And I was bringing her to vet several vets for a second and third opinions and um, everyone had sort of a different opinion. And so I was just sort of holding her and seeing her get lighter, which was very difficult. And also it happened over months. So I, I did have time to prepare in the sense that it wasn't super sudden. Um, but even with preparation, I was totally completely wrecked um, after she died. And it, it surprised me, not that I was missing her, because I was prepared for that, but just how, um, how flattened I was and how I lost my appetite and, I just was really um, deep in grief over her absence um, and startled by sort of how how debilitating it was. Hmm. You, you say that while your
2: grief for Snowflake was, I mean, obviously very personal and specific, it, it wasn't unique. And that was sort of the impetus for writing this book, which is a collection of reflections and quotations from famous people who've owned pets. Tell us about what was not unique about your experience.
3: <clears throat> um so after I after I lost her and was feeling just totally wrecked, I I love quotes. I'm very passionate about quotes and I love books and reading. And so I looked for a book that I could find that would just help me kind of put my feelings in perspective. Um and what I wanted was something like manageable and digestible and didn't require a ton of work on my part because I was just so not capable of focusing, which also surprised me. Um, So I started looking around for other people talking about this subject, specifically writers I really admired or cultural icons I admired. And it did not take me long to find in letter collections and diaries and notebooks, um, uh, just sort of the initial Uh, Because I didn't do a lot of research at first, this was just sort of initial kind of solace I was looking for. But what I did find was um, sort of buried in these letters were like the exact same feeling I had. Um, Raymond Chandler talks about not wanting to come home at night after um, his cat Taki dies, like him and his wife don't want to return back to their home Because they're just so devastated, they don't want to come into a home that's empty. So I started finding voices that were familiar um, saying things that felt very familiar to me. And it was very comforting.
2: Well, you had this quote um, from Emily Dickinson. She was so wrecked by the passing of her dog, she asked for help. And you write, Carlo died, she announced in a letter to her friend Thomas Wentworth Higginson in January 1866. Will you instruct me now? I mean, that seems really poignant. Um, And you can just feel the pain in those simple words.
3: Absolutely. I mean, there was just, you know, a handful of words there and the feeling of needing instruction. I mean, I think that's why I built this book. Um, It feels like in some ways, like a collage of um, a collage of empathy and instruction. And it's a lot of things, but I feel like what Emily Dickinson was asking for, I also needed. And it was really comforting to know she needed it too.
2: Well, I wanted to bring in another guest, Dr. Jennifer Scarlett. She's the CEO of the San Francisco SPCA and also a veterinarian. Welcome to the show, Dr. Scarlett.
4: Thank you for having me.
2: And you go by Scarlett, so that's what we'll be t- how I'll be addressing you through the show. Does what Sarah is saying about losing a pet resonate with you?
4: Absolutely. And Sarah, I'm sorry for your loss. And if Snowflake is up there, could you please have a conversation with my cat about that politeness <laughs> <bit>? <laughs> It It does very much. Um, these are conversations that I've had with clients um, many, many times in the exam room and, and in the home visits. Yeah. And I mean, as a veterinarian,
2: animals dying is probably part of the territory. How have you personally managed to cope with that?
4: Well, I've been fortunate to have several cats and dogs and horses pepper my life with a lot of love. And, and that also means letting them go. And, you know, each each scenario is different. And without a doubt, the unexpected death is the is the hardest. And the hardest for me was losing a dog due to a surgical complication, so something very near and dear to my heart mm. um, as a practicing veterinarian. But, you know, that it takes all kinds of forms from knowing that they're ill and having time to adjust and decide on euthanasia to being thrust into an emergency situation.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, how, your your dog that passed away, the dog's name was Hurry, I think. How, what did that feel like to be, have to say goodbye in such a sudden, uh, unexpected
4: way? Yeah, it... Um, it certainly allowed me to understand what many clients go through in those emergencies. And what's interesting is, you know, there's been studies. And, and for, for folks who experience that sudden loss, um, the lack of having choices creates a lot of anger and more guilt. And in this case, I I had a colleague who did the surgery.
5: Mm. And so
4: I had to make a decision on whether or not I was going to put my energy into working through this with a colleague at the time, or put my energy into honoring my relationship with the dog. Um, and I decided to, to do the honoring my relationship. Um, my colleague is not a hack. They're not a terrible practitioner. We all have times where we have complications that are unexpected. And so forgiveness in the time of grief is what I decided to do.
2: Sarah, did the grief you felt about losing Snowflake, did that feel more lonely because you are
3: mourning a pet versus a person? Absolutely. Um, yes, absolutely. It feels very much, it's such an intimate connection. And there's so many, um, like, connective moments you have during the day with an animal that are indescribable. And also, you don't really realize that until they're gone, sort of all these rituals you have and explaining the loss of that, uh, to someone is, is, it feels impossible. And, and also I think in general, our culture is much better. And I know this is not breaking news, but (laughs) our culture is much better at, um, being there for people who lost. I, I think it's, there's a lot more understanding when you lose someone you love who's a a person, like a a mother or father or friend or sibling, um, I find that it's harder to know what to say, or I used to find it harder to know what to say when someone is grieving an animal because it's so private and yet the grief is so intense. So it's this like cognitive dissonance um, that's hard to bring out into the open. Although I think hopefully that's gonna change.
2: Well, I wondered, Sarah. I mean, in your book, there there are so many quotations um, from various writers. Was there one that you found that you thought, "Aha, this really hits
3: for me"? Oh wow! I mean, that's a that's a tough one because I feel like um, there's so many. There's so many. Um, uh, one writer, Carolyn Knapp, talks about how after losing her dog, it. I think it, I think it was her or a friend. Anyway, I should be reading it out loud, <laughs> and I I can find it. But how sort of a hue from the color spectrum seemed to have disappeared um, when when the animal was gone, and that really that really um, I identified with that. It's just something that almost feels like your your world, like the the color spectrum has changed almost you're that disoriented so that um that affected me but i i have to say there's so many i mean i could i could select a lot um yeah. yeah, yeah, there are
2: a lot. I mean, I in in your book you had this quote from Anne Patchett, and she wrote, "The death of a dog hit me harder than the deaths of many people I have known." You know, and that sounds really cavalier, but it's really not because these um, animals are our constant companions. Do, do
4: you agree, um, Dr. Scarlett? Absolutely. You know, they're they're in our lives. They're with us when no one else is around often, and so it is very powerful. And um, one of the things that um, that I recommend for folks is, is to, to bring it to light um, and to celebrate their lives and, um, with their friends uh, as a way to help um, in that coping when they're gone. It's good. It's
2: a good piece of advice. We're talking about the grief you feel when your pet and beloved and faithful companion dies. And we're joined by Sarah Bader. She's the author of the book of Pet Love and Loss, and also Jennifer Scarlett, the CEO of San Francisco's SPCA and uh, also a veterinarian. That is where we got our pet, Puma. Um, and we want to hear from you. How did you cope with the loss of your pet? Was that the first time you had encountered the death of a beloved companion? What did you find most comforting? And were the people around you sympathetic about the loss of your animal friend? Give us an email at your email your comments and questions to forum at KQED.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram or Discord or at KQED Forum. Or you can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. More after the break.
5: This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Grace Wan in Fermina Kim. We're talking about the grief of losing an animal friend, how to find comfort when a pet dies. And I'm joined by Sarah Bader, the author of the book of Pet Love and Loss, also Jennifer Scarlett, the CEO of San Francisco SBCA and also a veterinarian. And I wanted to bring in Jill Goodfriend. She's a licensed clinical social worker and registered nurse. She leads Berkeley Humane's Pet Loss Support Group and specializes in pet loss and grief in her practice. Welcome to Forum, Jill. Ah, oh, Jill, I think you might be on mute. So hold yeah, on one second. You. There we go. Thank Welcome you. to Forum.
8: <laughs> thank you. This is an honor to be here.
2: Well, we're delighted to have you. Jill, you've been running Berkeley's Humane's Pet Law Support Group for over a decade, um, but you started out as a member of a support group. Tell us what that experience was like and why you joined a support group.
8: When I moved here, I moved with my cat and she needed surgery and unfortunately she needed to uh she need she was too sick so i had to make a decision and i decided to let her go however i was new here and i didn't know anyone and as a social worker of course i wanted to call somebody <clears throat> so i did find out about two groups which I went to, but there were none in the whole East Bay. So I made a pledge to my kitty that I would start a group as soon as I was uh, recovered from her loss. So that's how Berkeley Humane started.
2: All right. And what kind of help might a person find when they come to the Berkeley Humane Support Group?
8: It's a discussion group, and people ask questions, and I offer a little Beginning, Uh, I have had, I have collected many uh, resources over the 17 years, and I'm able to uh, help people figure out what they might need, what resource might be useful to them.
2: Mm -hmm. Jill, does the grief people feel vary depending on the circumstances of the pet's death? I mean, for example, if they euthanize their pet, does that grief feel different? that if their pet just died naturally?
8: Yes, uh, there's a big conflict between uh, the decision-making and the actual physical uh, loss this way. There is tremendous amount of guilt, which seems to be uh, long-lasting and very difficult to handle for, for the pet parents.
2: Well, I mean, we're getting a lot of comments, and Pat writes, The passing of my dogs was more painful than passing the passing of my parent, not because I love my dogs more, but because I had to make the decision to put them down and because I had spent so much time with them. I long to get another dog, but I can't put the time, attention, and money into the care of a dog. I don't see pet ownership as what they provide for me. I look at it as what I can provide for the dog. And another listener writes, I believe the loss of a beloved furry companion to be absolutely Absolutely profound. Luna passed on three years ago, and the loss and grief I feel is still so intense. I rescued her when she was five months old. I've never had children, by choice. It was just me and my Luna. She was almost 12 when she passed away at home in my arms with my voice in her ear. The months that followed were filled with grief, loss, and just unbelievable sadness. I learned that there were therapists who specialized in pet loss, but I felt too embarrassed to talk about it with one. I still miss her, and I still cry when I talk about her. She was truly my family in a way that is hard to describe and that I don't really understand until she was gone. You know, Jill, this listener is writing about being embarrassed, maybe a little shameful about being so sad about the loss of a pet. What can you say to that person in terms of getting help?
8: I think that is another reason why I started the Pet Loss Support Group, frankly, because the public at large, many people do not get it. They haven't had the experience of a relationship with a beloved pet uh, and they say things that are painful, like, well, there are so many other animals to adopt. Why don't you just go down, you know, and adopt one as if as if that would really help. Um, if you had a baby and the baby died, you wouldn't say there are so many more babies to adopt. <laughs> but the public really doesn't get it. We don't do grief very well in this culture. We don't do loss or death very well in this in this culture, unless you're a member of a uh, of a, a religious group. Then there is um, uh, some support there.
2: Mm-hmm hmm Well, let's go to the phones. Susie from San Jose, uh, welcome to Forum.
0: Oh, hi. Thank you so much for having this show. Um, I lost my beautiful Labradoodle Buttercup <laughs> three and a half weeks ago. Oh. Um, she was only six. She had a seizure condition, but it was under control and she took medicine every day. But suddenly, um, one day, she just had a seizure that, that wouldn't stop. And um, Kept looking like it was going to end, but within a couple... Um, but, you know, I ended up rushing her to emergency with my sister, thankfully. But she died within a few hours from cardiac arrest. And, um... Uh, like like someone, like someone said earlier, just that suddenness was so much harder than, than the dogs I've lost in the past that were, like, you know, 16 and 18, and I knew they were going. But... um
2: Oh, Susie, I'm so sorry about the loss of your dog. Um, you know, this this hour is just going to be really hard. I think we're going to hear a lot of stories about beloved companions passing on and uh, Dr. Scarlett, I mean, what would you say to Susie in this I'm I'm sure you've counseled other clients and patients before?
4: Yeah, I you know, I was I I want to reflect on something that Jill said that we don't do Death and grief very well in this country, but we do do love really well. And I think, you know, that's the beauty of this is that there is so much love and so much connection. And there's things that we are not in control of. There are some diseases that are just so profound, um, accidents, you know, that are so profound that we have to let go early. So one is finding that support, finding the people who also loved your dog or love you enough to understand and um just feeling that um you obviously are but you're honoring that life and that bond and that's a beautiful thing
2: mm. Sarah Bader, you have some quotes from quite a few famous people who admit that their pet was just their most treasured relationship. Um, one that I liked was, that cat was my longest and most successful relationship, 16 <laughs> years. It's not all about humans. That's Jeanette Winterson. Um, and I think the OG of dog love has got to be Mary Oliver. And I wondered if you could share some thoughts of um, that Mary Oliver had about her dogs.
3: Yeah, Mary Ol- Oliver... Um just had many, many dogs. And she actually wrote a book of poetry dedicated to them. And each one is like almost like a prayer. It's so beautiful. And it's the name of the dog is the title of the poem. Um, but she spent a lot of time walking. She was a walker and she took notes for her poems and she would walk with her dogs along the shore in Provincetown where she lived. And um, as she just really, I think, connected with dogs in such an intense and beautiful way. And I think they they sort of saved her over her life. Um, she had a very long, beautiful relationship, also romantic relationship. But dogs were very, very much a part of her life. And actually, when I was uh, writing about the dogs in her life, I was just sort of struck by how many there were. I was trying to keep track <laughs> and trying to make sure I was spelling them correctly and um, so they were just, yeah. She she really, she really got it, and uh, they got her, and they were her her very close friends.
2: Yeah, I think she wrote. I think they are companions in a way that people aren't. They lie next to you when you're sad and remind us that we're animals too. Let's go back to the phones. Scott from Burlingame, welcome to forum.
9: Hi, I'm so grateful you took my call, and just thank you for having this conversation. Uh, in a nutshell, I moved out here four years ago after a horrible relationship uh, that I'd been in with who you know got me to adopt the cats ten years ago, and I brought these cats out here. Moved to San Carlos with my mom and my sister. They unfortunately, they moved two years ago to England, so I've been out here alone, but I love it out here, and my life was centered around my two cats. So in November of 21, I went to the vet with my one cat, Henrik, who was about 12 at the time, and he was diagnosed with a crippling arthritis condition. And the vet told me that he had about six months to live. Well, in the meantime, during that month, I was very, very centered on his health and I basically neglected the health of my other cat. And she started going outside the box and I thought she was just trying to get attention. And I walked home in February of uh, just 22, and she was dead at the end of my bed. And it was so traumatic, and I carried that guilt with me because I felt like I had been neglecting attention to her because I was so centered on Henrik. And then in July, I ha- last July, I had to put Henrik down. And it, it, as much as I prepared myself for this, I planned that I had songs to play for his you know, putting him down. My sister luckily had flown in to, uh, to visit for that week, and so she was there with me. But, like, for the four months after that, I was so traumatized. I cried every day. I would pull into my apartment. And I would just sob, And it, I went through this for four months, and I wanted to join a support group, and I never did. But the one thing I did that really helped is I had to move out of that apartment, and I started focusing on myself. I dropped 40 pounds in the last few months, I've been walking, I've been trying to take care of myself because I realized my life was so centered on those two cats. And they were my life. They got through me through the breakup of my relationship, and they were the only two things I had the last couple of years out here. But I have built a memorial to them. I have their ashes and their collars on a nice little table in my room. I light candles for them on significant occasions, and it's really helped me get through.
2: Oh, well, Scott, I am sure your cats are cheering you on in terms of like losing the weight and finding a, a new purpose or repurpose. So I hope yeah. that, um, thank you for calling and I hope you feel better. Thank so, you.
9: Yes. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate oh, this. Our... This, is, this is therapeutic too. <laughs> okay.
2: That's good. That's good. We're talking about the grief you feel when your pet, a beloved and faithful companion dies. And we're joined by Jill Goodfriend. She's a registered nurse and cli- licensed clinical social worker. Also, she leads the Berkeley Humane's Pet Law Support Group and specializes in pet law loss, and grief in her practice. Also, Dr. Jennifer Scarlett, the CEO of San Francisco SPCA, joins us, and Sarah Bader, the author of The Book of Pet Love and Loss. We want to hear from you. How did you cope with the loss of your pet? What did you find most comforting? Were people around you sympathetic about the loss of your animal friend? And what recommendations do you have for people who are going through that experience? Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org, or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. We're at KQED Forum, or you can give us a call now at 866 That's 866 doctor Scarlett, I mean, one of the issues that comes up at the end of life for any animal is whether it is time to let them go. And I know you have participated in that hundreds of times. So tell us a little bit about how do you know when it's the right time to euthanize
4: your pet? Yeah. Well, I strongly believe pets make us better humans, um, but they don't make us perfect. And, you know, if we strive on perfection here, we're going to have more and more guilt. And when we haven't a geriatric animal or a condition, a medical condition, and we know they're going to decline, um, it's good to make that decision. And most people regret making the decision too late. And so rather than what what I counsel people on is make the decision um, and honor and have a dignified death, preferably at home. And that may mean not knowing did they have another three or four days or another week versus Um, It's an emergency, and now I'm in crisis, and I have to do this with a stranger or in in a situation that is really extremely stressful. So taking into consideration all the personality traits of your animal, what the disease is, conversations with your veterinarian, and how much pain and suffering, and just know we're human, and it may not be perfect.
2: Mm -hmm. You also have talked about there being um, palliative care for pets. Tell us a little bit about what that is.
4: Absolutely. And conditions, for example, um, our, our listener Scott wrote in, or called in about his cat with uh, arthritis. There are certainly medications that we can give that, to help control the pain or the anxiety um, and to keep them alive and at home and to give us time to process. And that's really important, especially in our older patients, is um it's all about the bond, right? It's, grief is about a, a a break in that love connection. So we want to keep that connection. And um, and it just allows us time to process and really come to terms with what is happening. Mm. You know, uh, we
2: have a comment here. Aaron tweets, I inherited Jed, a lab husky mix with soulful brown eyes from my mother, who had Alzheimer's. Mom died in 2008. Jed was 16 and a half when I admitted that his back injury was causing him more pain than acupuncture could solve. He was my last connection to my mom, which made it hard. Jill, I mean what Aaron is tweeting about is something common, which is when you lose a pet that was owned by somebody else, you're almost grieving twice. you're losing the you're grieving for the pet that has died but also the person who previously owned them. Have you encountered that in your support groups and how do you handle that?
8: uh yes, it comes up quite a bit. Uh, I think it's important to recognize that you've got two losses there uh, and to let go of your original loss and that might be difficult or you might have a a kind of celebration for his or her life or passing and then secondarily you have your beloved pet. It is a challenge uh, that comes up not infrequently in my practice.
2: Mm. And is there, I mean, is it just time and talking through it?
8: One of the things that people have found helpful is writing a letter, writing letters uh, to our beloved pet or even to the the human that has passed and given us the animal. Uh, and that's with your dominant hand, writing a letter to our beloved pet. And then with our non-dominant hand at a later time, Uh, which bypasses the inner critic, then the pet writes back to us. It sounds kind of funny, but uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it's very helpful. Some people keep whole journals of letters to my beloved.
2: Mm. Well, I mean, that's sort of what Sarah's book is. Uh, You know, we have a a couple of questions on this, something about the whole Rainbow Bridge thing. What is the (laughs) Rainbow Bridge? Where did it come from? And where did it come from? Jill, do you
8: know? I don't know where it came from. Uh-huh. The author is always saying, unknown, unknown. <laughs> uh, but a lot of people want to believe in that, and a lot of people don't. Uh, they don't believe in anything happening after the beloved pet dies. And that's a little bit more difficult to handle uh, for for me. But, it, you know, individual belief systems you can't go against those Mm -hmm. it's important to acknowledge and honor uh whatever the uh, belief system is of the of the client
2: yeah i mean sarah do you know the origins of the
3: the rainbow bridge you know what i really don't (laughs)
2: it remains a mystery
3: (laughs) I, i fall into the category of it not resonating for me personally i think uh That's why I go into these diaries and letter collections and notebooks for concrete, more tangible, But I completely respect and totally understand why it would resonate for some people. And being a researcher, I would love to say I know exactly where it comes from, but I do not. (laughs)
2: Well. Well, Susan writes, In many years as a school psychologist, I was grateful when thoughtful teachers invited me into the class for a little grief work following the death of a pet belonging to one of their students. It was a great opportunity to build empathy as children expressed their concern for one another. And Gretchen writes, I lost my soulmate Rocket on January 9th to bladder cancer. Despite having many adventures and careers, as well as losing five of my closest relatives, I define my life in three distinct categories, life before Rocket, (laughs) life with Rocket, and life after Rocket. And and Gretchen, I can say, I think we all relate to that. We're talking about the grief that you feel when your pet dies and how to cope with that. We're joined by Jennifer Scarlett, the CEO of the San Francisco SPCA, Jill Goodfriend, a registered nurse and licensed clinical social worker who leads Berkeley Humane's Pet Loss Support Group, and Sarah Bader. She's the author of the book of Pet Love and Loss. It's a good one. You should definitely pick that up at an independent bookstore. We'll have more after the break, but definitely give us a call or an email. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. More after this break. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Grace Wan in Fermina Kim. We're talking about the grief you can feel when your pet dies. Journalist Susan Orlean once wrote, there's nothing crueler than the fact that human and animal lifespans are so out of sync. And I think our guests could agree with that. We're joined by Jennifer Scarlett, the CEO of the San Francisco SPCA, Sarah Bader, the author of the book of Pet Love and Loss, and Jill Goodfriend, a registered nurse and licensed clinical social worker who leads Berkeley Humane's Pet Loss Support Group. Sarah, um, in an article that you wrote for The Wall Street Journal, you mentioned that pet obituaries, they're not common in newspapers, but they're popular on websites, could be a way to kind of get through your grief. How do you write a pet obituary?
3: I mean, uh, I'm kind of shocked that they don't exist in mainstream newspapers because they're so important. But um, I think how you write them, I think um, you just think about the animals uh arc of the animal's life and uh, the the things that made the animal happy and the nicknames that the animal patiently responded to and sort of all of the endearing, I think, um, qualities of the animal uh, that you sort of want to uh, share with a larger audience. I mean, I think I've I, really think that a mainstream newspaper should have um, a pet obituary section. I think it would be very popular and I think it would be really healing.
2: I hope you're hearing that, San Francisco Chronicle.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We we need that section. Well, I looked for a couple pet
2: obituaries just to see, and I mean, definitely on these websites, people write the memorial, and then a lot of people write year after year on the anniversary of the the pet's death, and I found one that I liked. This one says, our tortoise Julius was originally called John Paul II when we discovered him confined to a tiny vivarium in the pet shop. Can you love a tortoise, people ask? You absolutely can. He is survived by Emma, Olivier, Theo, and Louis. So here's to Julius, the pet tortoise. Um, Jill, another common question that comes up when people are grieving is, when is the right time to get another pet? Do you do that right after the pet has died? Do you wait? Is there a right time?
8: I think it's very, very individual. Uh one of the uh, situations that I've come across is that uh, some pet parents have gone right out and adopted another pet right away. And then, unfortunately, they found that the new pet is not the same as the old pet. Therefore, they actually had to return the pet to uh, to the shelter, which is bad bad for the pet, bad for everybody. And of course, the person parent felt very guilty about that. So I think that each of us has to wait until the right time feels right to us. And for me, personally, uh, that time has bubbled up. And uh, I felt complete about grieving one animal waiting until the next one. And that I think that's the best I can offer at this mm. time. Yeah, that's pretty good advice. Very individual. Very right. individual.
2: Well, let's go back to the phones. Karen from Oakland, welcome to Forum.
0: Hi, thank you. Um, I had my mom um was a um, invalid and I took care of her for, for the last five years of her life and she passed in twenty eleven and there was a little cat that would come in the backyard and it was in 2008, and just took to her, and um, they became fast friends. She would sleep at the bottom of her bed. Her name was Smokey, and then when Mommy died, uh, Smokey was with us for three more years, and then suddenly she got really sick, started throwing up, and I took her in, and they said that her lungs were full of flu and all kind of things. They suggested I put her down right then, and it was really devastating to hold her and watch her take her last breath, and she looked at me like, what was going on? And to this day, I feel like i feel grieving my mom and Smokey. Oh, Karen. And it was just the thought, it hurts so bad. Wow. And I don't understand that, I mean, I can't separate the two. It's just difficult, and it's been so long. Smokey's been gone since 2013. But just hearing this show, it just brought it all back. And um,
2: I don't know. Well, Karen, we're thinking just, of a good, a good thought for Smokey and your mom. Jill, any words of comfort or advice for Karen?
8: I think that anytime we have a significant loss, like a parent, there is always unfinished business. And that might not come up right away. But when we have another loss in this current life, it makes it more uh, complicated. Uh, The grief is more complicated because then it's both the parent or the the loved one as well as the, the beloved pet. And it complicates things. So sometimes like if If the double grief is too much, then I certainly recommend someone go to counseling, some kind of counseling, uh, to help in both of those losses.
3: Hmm.
8: Well, Sarah,
2: for children, the death of a pet is often their first encounter with death. And I mean, I think for me, it was Mr. Rogers who taught me about this. You mentioned this episode in your book um, when Mr. Rogers talks about the death of an animal. Can you share that?
3: Sure, yeah, this was so beautiful. Um, In March of 1970, um, Mr. Rogers introduced children to the idea of um, death and grief, and he did it in a really sensitive way. He started the show sort of as he normally does, you know, um, greeting the children. And then he goes by the fish tank and he notices that a fish is floating at the bottom of the tank and looks not well. And so he tries to revive the fish. And this is all with the children watching. Um, and he can't. And he ends up burying the fish in the backyard with the children witnessing all of this. And then um, he segues to his dog Mitzi that he had as a child and his memories of Mitzi and how sad he was when Mitzi died. So he, went, he goes from the fish to his relationship with his dog in such a seamless way. And um, it was just very safe-making and really beautiful and amazing that he pulled it off on on television. Mm, I mean, I have such vivid
2: memories of that episode. Um, and a little worry, I will say. I mean, he was sensitive, but I was, I was concerned about our own fish. Um, let's go back to the phones. Adam from Oakland, welcome to Forum.
10: Hi. Uh, yeah, I've actually, I really enjoyed this talk um, hearing everybody share how they... Uh, grieve over their pets is really beautiful. I've been involved in cat rescue uh, for like ten or eleven years now, um, and have loved a lot of cats, lost a lot of cats. Um, but one of like the coolest uh, memorials I think I've been able to do for one of my like most favorite cats, uh, my buddy Stubbs um i was able to take his remains to a taxidermist and oh. i, I had talked to people about this for a long time and they thought it was a little weird and it is a little weird but it's pretty <laughs> neat um and i i was able to get it, it was like a year-long process but i was able to get his skull uh and so like it all decays she cleans it she bleaches it puts it back together um and now it sits in his bowl as a uh I don't know, just as a memorial. Um, and every year, I try to, like, on the anniversary of his passing, like, sit down with my other cats who knew him. We uh, give him some treats and some catnip, and uh, just like give a little thought to Stubbs. And uh, but yeah, it's really nice.
2: Oh well, I mean, I think that's a lovely thing for you to remember Stubbs that way, and for your other cats to remember him. Are your are your other cats? Do they are they freaked out by it, or do they seem to be okay with the <laughs> exactly. taxidermy cat?
10: Uh, 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 no, it was really, it was really neat to see how they were just curious about it. I can't, can't really place any, like, I don't, or like it's, I don't want to like anthropomorphize them Mm -hmm. too much, but like, I do feel like they were, uh, they were definitely interested in it, but it could have just been the, the treats and the catnip, but, uh, (laughs) I like, I do like to think that it was, uh. They were they were they knew he was
2: there too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean there are ideas lots of ideas on how to memorialize a pet, and I think that's I mean, that seems to be working. So here's to Stubbs. Thanks for calling, <laughs> Adam. <true>. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um Scarlett, what do you think about that? Taxidermying your cat as a way to memorialize your pet?
4: Hey, if it's if it's working for Adam, that's fine. Um and you know, I've I've been asked in the exam room, like at the time of death, um, from clients to do a remarkable variety of things to memorialize pets. Mm-hmm. But it is something to think about uh, as to what that might be for you rather than get to the moment. But, um, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's very individual.
2: Well, what are some of the things that people do in that moment when they're saying goodbye?
4: So um, the, the question is what to do with those remains. Mm. And, um, you know, depending on local ordinances, um, some people want to bury them. Um, most people choose cremation, and, and of cremation, there are communal cremations where the ashes are. Um, you don't get the ashes back, and private cremation where you do. And then once you have the ashes back, again, it's all about like what you feel, and some people have ashes put in a locket so that the animal is always with them or take it to a, a place that they really loved. Um, I haven't had anybody taxidermy their animal, though. Mm. There's always a first. There's always a first.
2: I mean, I think the Presidio here in San Francisco has a pet cemetery, not not the Stephen King kind, but the real, like, yeah, a cemetery for dogs and cats.
4: There's also one in Colma, and it is beautiful to walk through and see the headstones, I mean, from decades and decades ago. These permanent um, just overtures of love to their mm. animals—it's it's quite beautiful. Oh, that's a that's a good idea to maybe
2: walk through there and to check that out. Um, Sarah, you know, we were talking about the death of a pet, and Jill, I wanted to turn to you um, with with regards to children. Are there any resources particularly out there for kids that you might recommend?
8: i think the best thing uh, for parents is first of all to find out to figure what is their belief system apart from the children and what have they told the children uh, and secondarily to go to the library i think that's really a very good place the librarian knows where the section is and can uh direct the parents to that section uh and find appropriate books for that particular child. Because children really vary. When they vary in age, they vary in cognitive skills. And some of them are too young to understand uh, death is like forever. It's not just hiding hiding uh, uh, the pet somewhere. So it's very individual. Uh, the parents might have a belief system that is important for them to pass on to their children. I think that's very important. So it's very, very individual.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, this is Forum. I'm Grace Wan in Fermina Kim. Let's go back to the phones. Kelly from San Francisco, welcome to Forum.
1: Hi, good morning. I wanted to add to the conversation and thank you for having it. I'm totally in agreement that um, grieving pets is dismissed you know when you think about uh the level of care and comfort and sleeping with you every day yeah um i've lost it she was sick with a heart condition gave her medicine two three times a day exceeded her life expectancy by five years fantastic so i had that time to grieve in advance but was surprised with her resilience well when the day actually came and it was horrific yes i highly agree if you have a terminal pet, to choose a time when to euthanize. But it's so difficult when they're doing well, you know, so that that was awful. But if I could take back that last hour of trauma and hell for her and I, I would. And now I'm faced with it, with my other cat who was here. They had a bonded relationship for nine years. So what do you have to say about the pet left behind. I mean, he's just a mopey sack of sadness and mm. he looks for her to play. Oh my God. It breaks my heart. breaks my heart. I mean, I cry every day. I'm grieving. I understand. But the poor cat, you know, mm. I mean, I know I can't bring
2: another one in, but, Any recommendations for helping the pets left behind? That's a great question, Kelly. Scarlett, any advice about pets left behind, the pack that, you know, is left?
4: Yeah, if they're truly bonded, they're grieving as well. And um, sometimes it can be just spending more time with them. Um, if, you have a, if it's a dog, um, getting them out and walking with them can help with that anxiety. Sometimes they, they stop eating, and you know, they do need um, medication to help them uh, with their grief, and that can be in the form of anti-anxiety drugs or drugs to help, help them eat. I've also had the opposite happen. I've had animals that have lived together, and one dies, and the other one's like, whew, finally, you know, like I can, I've got run of the place. So it's not always, it's not that's always very so. honest.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, let's take another call. Karen from Contra Costa County, welcome to Forum. Hi, thank you very much for having me.
7: Um, I am remembering the sudden and unexpected two young deaths of the sweetest dog who slept next to my bed. And one morning I woke up and greeted her and she wasn't moving. Mm-hmm. And I called my husband who was on his way to work and he came rushing back and sobbed over her body. Mm-hmm. And that night we had to go to dinner to meet our prospective, our son's prospective in-laws. And we were in great grief. We have other dogs, but each dog is an individual. And um, we mentioned that we had lost our dog that morning. And these people have dogs and the father, a future father-in-law, said, well, at least it wasn't a person. And I thought to myself, oh, Molly was very much a person. And I've thought about it since then. We have different relationships with each of our pets. They occupy a different emotional space. We have our intimacy with them. And I'm a psychiatrist. I have had plenty of patients for whom their primary relationship is with an animal. The problem being, unless it's an African gray parrot, they're going to outlive their pet.
2: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
7: Let's, let's acknowledge that they may not be homo sapiens, but they are persons that that are in our lives. And they have that level of import. And I think the lack of understanding of the depth and severity of grief that can happen with pet loss is um, an added
2: hardship. And this show is a great service to well, people who think about and care about that. Well, thank you, Karen. But before I let you go, how's the relationship with the in-laws? <laughs> <laughs>
7: Well, you know, um, <laughs> it never really quite recovered, and that's because we're in a blue state, and they are all in uh-huh. a red state. Okay. So, you know, that's <laughs> there's other issues, but that was, but but you know what? Now that comment, I mean, even if you didn't think a dog was that important, to say that to people who've just revealed mm-hmm. that they are in brand new grief was. Profoundly insensitive. So I would say that it's a non-relationship. I mean, they're you know on the other side of the country, um, and uh, you know it's it's just not good.
2: <laughs> wow. It's not a
7: bad relationship. I mean, we're polite, but but um, they're clueless.
2: Yeah, well, I think we've, I, I think you've explained to us, Karen, what not to say when someone loses a beloved companion. You know, we've been talking about the grief you feel when your pet, your beloved and faithful companion, dies, and we've been joined this hour by Sarah Bader. She's the author of the book of Pet Love and Loss. Also, we've had Jennifer Scarlett, the CEO of San Francisco SPCA, and Scarlett's a veterinarian um, as well. And Jill Goodfriend, a registered nurse and licensed social worker. Goodfriend leads Berkeley Humane's loss support pet support group and specializes in pet loss. I want to thank all of you for joining today. I think that's been such a service for our listeners and I certainly have learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, And thank you listeners for your calls and comments and sharing your stories of grief and your pets memories with us. We are definitely going to keep those with us and I will be thinking about that as we have a 12 year old dog and hopefully I won't be entering this conversation soon but I think I'm better prepared now. This is Forum I'm Grace Wan, in for Mina Kim, who returns tomorrow.
0: Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons
5: Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure,
6: So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? you left to find my tablet on.
7: Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in
3: all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today. On The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.